0: Uh, For us, anyway, it's been constant adaptation of the ship. Uh, And so we've been we've been not only sailing the ship, but modifying the ship in an accelerated way. At the same time, we have new sails, we have new rudder devices, we have new solar power, uh, we have new understanding. And I think one of the things that the that the crew of the ship has really been focused on is uh, this sort of always present, always engaged.
1: Welcome to Innovating Together, a podcast produced by the University Innovation Alliance. This is the podcast for busy people in higher education who are looking for the best ideas, inspiration, and leaders to help you improve student success. I'm your host, Bridget Burns. You're about to watch another episode of Start the Week with Wisdom, which for those of you who are at home, if you have not seen this before, these are our weekly episodes where we conduct an interview with a sitting college president or chancellor, and we want to talk to them about how they're navigating the challenge of this moment. We're in a really unique time, and we want to focus on their leadership and unpack how they are making decisions, how they are navigating, and hopefully it will leave you with a sense of optimism, a bit inspired, and give you a bit of hope. And now I've got the OGs here today, you know, Jeff and our premier guests. So I'll, I'll leave it for you to be able to, to give a little bit of introduction. Um, but in terms of weekly wisdom, I did want to share that we've now, like I said, it's been our 39th episode. And we're really happy that we've been able to uplift and amplify a diverse array of voices Um, 62% people of color, 51% women of all of our guests. So that's always been a priority for us. And we're just really happy that we've been able to uh, not just do that, but also across all aspects of nonprofit higher ed, um, every sector. So, um, yeah.
2: Well, and Bridget, not only am I returning uh, since my absence uh, for most of the last year, but this week we're also bringing back our original guest. Uh, which is Arizona State's president Michael Crow um president crow has led ASU i think now for nearly 20 years we're coming up and he's also a chair of the university innovation alliance board
0: welcome to be here thanks Happy for to be here. Bridget, Jeff nice to see you good to see right. you
1: We're excited, and uh, we know that you're uh, you're really in a in a great mood today. So this is gonna we we have no idea how this is gonna go. This is fabulous. So, um, well, first I wanted to uh, start off by you know a year ago we had a conversation with you um, about you know what it was like to lead, and you referenced a metaphor that was you know leading is like sailing and you described the different types of wind conditions and what it was like. And that was just kind of very similar to your experience as a leader. And now after a year of gale force winds, I want to know, how would you update that analogy? What have you learned from it? And do you have any advice you would give yourself a year in?
0: Yeah, thank you, Bridget. I mean, sailing meaning that it's constantly you're blown by the winds, you're trying to make forward progress, you have to tack to the north while you're really traveling to the uh, west Uh, 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 but you have to go north for a while to get to the west to take advantage of the winds Uh, you have to be reactive to the waves to the changes to your crew uh, to everything and so the advice a year into this using that analogy is um, uh, for us anyway it's been constant adaptation of the ship uh, and so we've been we've been not only sailing the ship but modifying the ship in an accelerated way at the same time. We have new sails, uh, we have new rudder devices, we have new solar power, uh, we have new understanding. And I think one of the things that the that the crew of the ship has really been focused on is uh, this sort of always present, always engaged. And so the other thing is this constant this notion of constant engagement. Uh, the senior team at ASU meets uh, every single day now. We never used to meet every every single day. We've met every, we've met hundreds, hundreds, and hundreds of times, uh, and and this has then allowed us to accelerate our ambition for for, for uh, what the ship can be, what the ship can do, as well as the. I guess I would say just to add to this, the the detailed accuracy with with, with which we can make adjustments. Uh, I think the other thing that we've learned is to. Uh, you know wait as long as possible to make a decision until you have as much information as possible before you make a definitive decision. So we decided, you know not to close. we we kept our residence halls open, uh, uh, you know th- but we modified everything we did when we made those decisions. And so it's making decisions as carefully and as judiciously as possible, allowing the sea conditions to be, as well understood as you can possibly have them understood before you make a decision. So those are some lessons from this year.
2: Uh, so the last fifteen months have been quite a disruptive uh, uh, piece, of, not only in around uh, entire society, but higher education, of course, right? And when we think about the history of higher education, you know, big changes have always led to an upheaval in how we think about it. Um, you know, you've you you have your book behind there, the fifth wave, this new idea of a new set of institutions kind of uh, emerging um, even before the pandemic. But does this pandemic give us a chance to maybe upend at what we think of as t- in terms of the establishment in, in higher ed? Right uh, Over the last couple of weeks, I wrote a piece uh, in the Washington Post a couple of weeks ago that talked about the record low uh, acceptance rates of, quote, unquote, the most selective institutions in this country. Uh, and I got a lot of notes from people saying, why don't we just forget about them and talk about a whole new set of institutions? Well. What are those institutions and how can we establish that new new establishment or that additional establishment coming yeah. out of the pandemic?
0: Yeah, I, I definitely think it's not, it's, not, it's not new in the sense of replacement. It's new in the sense of additional. So, you know, what's argued for in the fifth wave is the emergence of universities devoted to social outcomes as their measure of success. Uh, universities re- and you can't have social outcomes unless you're able to operate at some sort of scale unless you're able to operate across the diversity of the society. And so what's happened is that we keep falling back in time, back to the British cultural model that we overthrew in the revolution, which was that class determines all outcomes and your family rank is the single thing that you need to be working toward. And exclusivity in all things British are a part of the, of the design of a, of a lot of American institutions. Okay, fine, it's, we need a lot of institutions, we need thousands of institutions, but what we now need are lots of new institutions. Institutions that can scale, can be driven by technology, can work with people wherever they are, can help produce college graduates wherever they are in their life, can help educate people across the entirety of their life. And uh, uh, so so what we're really uh, hoping comes from this is the realization the technologies that we have now are unbelievable. The opportunities are unbelievable. And if some people don't want to do that, that's fine. No harm, no foul. Uh, Some institutions have got to move in this new direction or I can guarantee you the country will never achieve its its democratic success. We'll never achieve our competitive success globally, economically, because we're being outperformed uh, education, scaling in other places. It's not scaling here in the same way Uh, uh, we're being outperformed in that. uh, Most people that go to college in the United States don't graduate. Most people that start college do not graduate. There's no other place like that anywhere. Oh. Uh, and so we've got deep, deep problems, and so we need new forms. We need new entities. So,
2: uh, so if I'm sitting at an institution, obviously ASU, other members of the UIA have a head start on this even before the pandemic. But if I'm sitting at an institution now uh, that uh, clearly is coming out of the pandemic in okay shape, but I want to follow that playbook, right, of of becoming this new type of institution. You know, what what is the framework that I have to start to think about in order to scale in a way?
0: So, so. One, uh, you can't do it by yourself. you got to network, network, network. Two, you must find a way to embrace technology and embed technology, turning your faculty into what we now call at ASU super faculty. They teach on campus. They create on campus. They're engaged on campus. They have students on campus. And they're influencing many, many other lives at the same time as a part of their normal, everyday work. Um, And so uh, technology, networking, uh, change your indicators of success away from how many did you not admit or how many did you graduate only. Uh, to, uh, you know, what's the transformation in your community, in your region, in the cluster or the ecosystem in which your college or your university is operating. And then the other thing that's kind of interesting for us is y- y- you got to stop thinking you can do it by yourself. Every time we talk to somebody else about some of the stuff that we're able to do, people say, well, that's really nice. We need to do that also. And we're like, okay, well, it took us 10 years to get here. Uh, we could find a way to work together and then, you know, move forward in new and exciting ways going forward. And so, you know, the, the notion of, of, Colleges and universities are like isolated cottage industries back in the old black forest of ancient Germany, each doing their own thing and trying to do the same thing themselves. And that's just not the world today that we need.
1: Uh, I'm seeing a lot of conversations about folks, you know, thinking about fall term, trying to prepare, thinking about the future. What's next? Is this, you know, just the first pandemic, et cetera. And what I'm wondering is. What If you were giving advice to another institutional leader and you're suggesting types of topics they should be thinking about and talking about with their team to really position for the future that you see, what are those things that are occupying your thinking and what you're talking about?
0: Well, one thing, we should just accept the fact that we're only on a pathway to the kinds of goals and objectives outlined in the aspirational document called the U.S. Constitution. So one has to think about it as an aspirational document we don't need much convincing that we're not near our aspirational goal. We're not, you know, we do not have equal justice. We do not have all kinds of things that we talk about in that constitution. So then so then, what we need to do then is like, well, what are you gonna do about that? Uh, and so for instance, uh, any public university that's not representative of the entire socioeconomic diversity of their region isn't succeeding. Uh, any public university that's not representative of the ethnic diversity of its region is not succeeding. As Simple as that. And so that would be most. Uh, and so and so uh, what one needs to do is, you know, in some ways, uh, talk less, do more. Uh, and uh, and and so what I mean by that is start measuring yourself against those kinds of goals and those kinds of objectives. And so what I mean, then, is then uh, to do that, then one has to be accountable for objectives. One has to start moving past this notion that it's all about the rhetoric and all about the discussion as important the re- as the rhetoric and the discussion is. It isn't. It's about the actual performance of the institution against the societal goals and the broader aspirational goals outlined in the constitution, and we and we forget that.
2: But but, uh, Mike, so often institutions are moving within the herd because that's where the rewards are, right? So they're moving in uh, in in this herd mentality because that's where the rankings are, that's where the students are, and the enrollment comes with money in many states because it's it's tied to appropriations. If they're a public or they're a private, uh, you know that's where the all the fundraising is right so how do you realign the incentives coming out of this so that institutions move in this direction because in well, many ways right they they're not they're not incentivized as as leaders either as presidents or boards to move in this direction necessarily
0: well you don't really need university presidents or chancellors or people with vaunted titles like that if they're nothing but railroad administrators and so and so with if all they're doing is sitting around keeping the trains running on time waiting to get the fuel making the case to get more track you know, uh, playing in a purely bureaucratic structure, you don't need university presidents and chancellors to run simple uh, uh, government bureaucracies. Uh, you don't you don't need that at all. So I'm I'm of the view that we need to throw out the notion of operating as public uh, agencies and embrace the motion uh, the, the the notion in the public sector of operating as public enterprises. That is, you seek resources in many different ways, you innovate in different ways, you partner in different ways, and so and so uh, we can already see that. You know, the, the public bureaucracy modality is perfect for certain kinds of things like the army, uh, uh, the post office and so forth. It's it's not good for high speed, adaptive, knowledge producing enterprises uh, who have to adjust to the totality of the complexity of society. And so and so uh, what we've got is people trapped in two boxes. They're trapped in an agency model of the operation of the college or the university. Or even in some of the private colleges and universities, they're trapped inside an academic bureaucracy, which must be the densest, tightest, most, uh, I don't know what to call it, most bureaucratically constraining superstructure of immense pressure ever created. Uh, and, And we have to free that also. And so we need more differentiation, more creativity, more innovation, and more enterprise behavior to actually give presidents and chancellors uh, uh, you know, uh, meaning behind their t- titles and value behind their, uh, elevated salaries.
1: Okay. Well, this is perfect. So I think we're going to move into rapid fire because I know that you are, uh, you're someone that everyone wants to hear from, and, um, you often get asked a lot of the same questions. So I yeah. think getting to a deeper level. So the first thing I want to ask you is what was the best advice you received personally that served you in your career?
0: In my career, think hard about what you want someone to say about you when you're dead.
2: That's a good one. That's a good one. Um, What has surprised you the most about this past year?
0: Uh, The most surprising thing has actually been the negativity of the media uh, and the constant uh, uh, searching for uh, clicks and dollars by uh, the media, which uh, has not done a good job keeping us informed, has not done a good job of helping us to move our way through the pandemic, and is actually in some ways perpetuating fear perpetuating negative outcomes and that's been very powerfully negative and very surprising to
2: me. And Mike, what do you mean by that? Do you mean like the criticism of colleges reopening for example and things like that?
0: Not just that, but I mean the broader media, you know, that that, you know, that uh, well, you should do this, you should do this, you should do this and 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 now as the pandemic moves into various levels of management in the United States 24/7 now about all things Indian, uh, uh, you know, and and not much in, the, in that same media about adaptations and changes and positive outcomes. I mean, we're graduating today, right now, uh, 19,000 students, the most graduates we've ever had in a spring semester graduation all through the pandemic. We, we've, got, we've got the largest number of applicants we've ever had, the most diverse class that we've ever had. I mean, these are all things that are moving. The jobs that our graduates that have been getting, the interviews, the moving forward with their life, I mean, yes, there's all these things going on, but there's also lots of other things going on also using just that narrow little slice of our own institution.
2: Bridget, just one quick follow-up on that, Mike. Uh, The Carnegie Corporation of New York plus uh, Gallup just came out with a poll recently uh, where almost half of parents said that they wish there were alternatives to four-year colleges. Um, Do you think that this constant barrage of criticism of higher education, particularly over the last year, uh, has impacted the, the this discussion around value of higher ed? And is that a, seems like a dangerous thing and how does higher ed reverse that?
0: Well, that's sort of complicated. I mean, in the lower half of family incomes, only 15% of people graduate from college anyway. In the lower quarter, only about 8% graduate from college because it's almost unreachable. It's, it's uh, culturally and financially uh, complicated to attain. And so it doesn't surprise me at all that people want other alternatives. And so what they think of as college is, I can't afford to send my kid to XYZ private college because it's $75,000 a year or even the public college or the public university. And so the the desire for more alternatives is a message to all of us that we're not doing a very good job of talking about how one makes forward progress in their life across the broadest social cross-section of our society. So that doesn't surprise me. I will say, though, we also did a poll through our affiliated center, the Center for the Future of Arizona with the Gallup organization. And we asked, what do Arizonans want, the seven and a half million Arizonans? And it turns out there are 10 shared public values, which are astoundingly positive, astoundingly progressive, not in the political progressive sense, but progressive in the world that they want. Uh, And education is, is unbelievably important. And the environment is unbelievably important. And uh, finding new uh, methods of uh, uh, of addressing inequalities is on that list of a shared public value. So so we have a lot of commonality of purpose and commonality of outcomes. When someone gets a survey result like the Gallup-Carnegie survey that says that more than half the people aren't looking for college, that creates disruption when it should create opportunity uh, because there's that means that half the people don't even know what college education is, what it's worth what it could be for them, what it could mean. I mean, that's the problem. The problem is mostly us, not them. All the surveys are of them, reflecting their concerns about us, and then there's no attention on us who aren't really getting the job done.
1: So I wanna shift to, you have actually mentored quite a few folks who have gone on to very successful posts, including presidencies. And I know that a lot of people reach out to you for advice as they're contemplating taking on a new role. What is the advice that you give most frequently to someone who's about to become a president?
0: Consider yourself already dead and move forward. Uh, meaning, meaning, you know, you can't, you can't, you can't worry about. Well, is this going to work? And how am I going to get the next job? Or how am I going to do this? And I can't do this because I might get fired or whatever. Go ahead and do it and get fired. It's probably worth doing. There's people recently that should have done things and were fired for not doing them. And they might have been fired for doing them, and they would have been better off having done that in every possible way. Uh, and so you're familiar with some of these people, Bridget. And so, and so, uh, um, I guess the advice that I try to give to people is, you know, in a sense, you know, you're selected as if you're going into a situation where you're the leader. The leader must sacrifice. The leader must do what needs to be done. And the leader, if if all you're trying to do is to leverage your way to some other job, or I got the presidency at you know, East Pacific state college somewhere or whatever, and you really wanted to be the president at Pacific state college or at Pacific university or whatever it happens to be, then you should, you shouldn't even be in this business. I mean, you you're, you're, you're once, once you get into this track, you're done, you're just an expendable leader. Um, and, uh, and so the, this book behind me here, Washington, by Ron Chernow I've, I've read it about three times. I just finished reading it again. Fantastic, unbelievable person an expendable leader. Uh, uh, who was expended in his process of being a leader. Well, that's what leaders need to do. So Mike,
2: uh, one of the things I miss about coming out to Arizona, since Bridget and I haven't been on a plane in a long time, uh, is uh, leaving your office usually with a stack of books uh, under yep. my arm or a recommendation of a stack of books. So what are, what are you reading now or what are you watching uh, that is teaching you about where we are in the world right now or leadership or the
0: future uh, that you want to recommend to others? Oh, well, I, I watch everything. I, I probably watched. I couldn't go to sleep last night. I probably watched like three movies last night just to get them in my head. Uh, but one book I think that's really worth looking at. And I didn't pull this out for this meeting, but I've been studying it around again is the mission of the university by Jose or- Ortega. This is an 80 year old, 90 year old book uh, from a uh, very uh, you know, early 20th century uh, Spanish philosopher. But he asked things like the fundamental question. Um, uh, for instance, the reform of higher education cannot be limited, nor can even its main features be limited to the correction of abuses. Reform is always the creation of new usages, and so this guy got it. Uh, you know, so he's a he's a person of the pragmatic phil- philosophical school. Uh, John Dewey was of this school. Uh, Richard Rorty was of these schools. Other was of these schools. There is a mission of the university relative to social transformation. Uh, And uh, I'm not saying that the universities he worked at necessarily got there, but he knew what he was doing. So I recommend this book. You can still get it. It's it's not very thick, very thin. Words are big. You can get through it pretty easily. Uh, And so that's, that's something I think is worth reading for anybody that's in higher ed, if you haven't already done that or haven't heard of it.
1: All right. You always have like five though. So what other ones do you have? I mean, just, just like hit us. What's the other one? I up? mentioned
0: before this, uh, that ministry of the future there by Kim Stanley Robinson, I've been giving that out, to, that out to a lot of people. So, so how do you design a ministry which is focused on nothing but the future? And this has to do with adaptation to uh, global change, uh, driven by climate and other things. So the opening scene, which is, is uh, really quite traumatic is, uh, remember the lack, the breakdown of the grid in Texas, uh, couple months ago. Well, imagine that happens during a heating moment of a high heat index. Uh, It happens in this, Northern India, 10 million people die in the first instance uh, where they lose their grid at the same time as they get this unbelievable heat wave and they just can't make it through. And you say, well, that would never happen. Look up France in the early 20th century with uh, 30,000 dead one summer um, uh, from a heat wave just in France uh, just then. And so the reason for that book is thinking about how to literally Literally design actions now that are in anticipation of things that are dramatically different going forward. So that, I think that's another a, another good way to shape your thinking.
1: We just got a question about the book. The book was titled Washington.
0: Yeah, um, Ron Chernow. C H E R N O W. Washington: alive, yeah. Yeah, A Life. The subtitle. Yeah,
1: okay. Right. Um, uh, so please tell us in 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 less than you know thirty seconds the leadership lesson that you take from the movie Starship Troopers.
0: Oh, Starship Troopers is this old B-grade science fiction movie about these insects that attack Earth at some point in the future. And I think the leadership lesson learned there is uh, the furtherance of the fact that fascism is bad. (laughs) And so it should be avoided at all costs. And uh, 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 again, uh, leaders are uh, in that movie, they're sacrificed like there's no tomorrow. So uh, high sacrifice and fascism is bad.
1: You're, you're promoting other books out here, uh, the, the Starship Troopers. Is there, a, is there Typically, you watch sci-fi, get great inspiration, and help people kind of rethink, reframe their thinking. Any other movie that, for you, has gotten under your skin lately?
0: Ma Rainey's Black Bottom is a fantastic movie if you didn't see it, uh, particularly when you see at the end uh, the murder of uh, one of the musicians by uh, the lead character uh, uh, played by Bozeman. Um, And it's this senseless murder taken out in rage by a person completely defeated by the system in which uh, another uh, black man is murdered by another black man in this moment of rage. And and the whole movie itself is just uh, unbelievably revealing of the of the of the social complexities, uh, uh, not only of the era, but of of our society as it's continuing to evolve. It was it's just a really it's really a great movie. So
2: Mike, I want to circle back to the media conversation we had uh, earlier, because as you know, I kind of straddle uh, these both worlds, uh, the world of higher ed and the world of media. And this week, the Education Writers Association is meeting virtually. Uh, we were on your campus a, a couple of uh, years ago, but uh, we have uh, I'm moderating a panel uh, later this week. And one of the questions I'm asking the folks on the panel is, what are the stories that we should be covering? So uh, if if people are unhappy with the media coverage, especially of higher ed over the last year? What what stories do you think uh, we should be covering?
0: Well, it's kind of weird. So I, I called a student the other day that had just uh, graduated from ASU. Uh, 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 she lives uh, down in Southern Arizona. And I'd heard that she'd just been admitted to the Mayo uh, Medical School, which is a very difficult medical school to get in. And uh, the reason I was calling her was to... Uh, congratulate her. And I don't call every student that gets into medical school. We have lots of kids that get into medical school, but few that are single moms in their mid twenties who never came to ASU physically and graduated from our online biology degree. Hmm. And so the reason I bring that up is that, is that, you know, we still have media reporters in the higher education space that, you know, are, I don't know, they're like 19th century writers. They they, they 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 don't they don't realize that the world is changeable. They don't realize that an online biology degree can prepare a person unable to come to the university to study biology, to master biology, and to be admitted to one of the top medical schools in the country. And the reason I bring that up is that um, last year we got a snarky note from some dean of some strange elite medical school saying they never would admit anyone from an online medical school because they didn't have any skills. They just took classes online, sitting in their basement. Well, that person was beyond stupid, uh, probably intellectually bigoted uh, and so the one thing that I'm just saying to writers is that what you when you when you think about education um, you know writers look at online and they they write about OPMs you know they, they don't write about outcomes they don't write about learning outcomes as much they uh, I think Jeff you were telling me earlier that that we still run into people that say, well how can anybody that goes to a university as big as ASU or Penn State or one of these other behemoths that are out here how can that how can they be any good it's, it's it's all about i mean so so in some ways not all but many higher education writers and most higher education institutions have no idea of what it's going to take to actually move the society to the next level but they're plenty able to talk about how schools that are you know moving in new directions are breaking from the norm and are uh maybe not doing the right thing. So I was really, this woman's name was Desiree. I was so excited to talk to Desiree uh, and to uh, uh, learn about her particular choices and, and how she got, found the biology degree. I mean, so those, there's just a lot going on. And so the idea of college is much broader than yep. people think.
1: Well, um, we did get some other questions in the chat that I will try and uh, you know the last piece. But you need to wrap is uh, any any last words of advice about leadership responsibilities and action, and then we will close the show.
0: You know the the best advice I can give you is uh, uh, for those that are other presidents and chancellors listening, or those that are working to help advance institutions of higher education, is that we lived in we live in a privileged class of people. Uh, you know we must be present. We must help the society to to keep moving forward. We must adapt. We must adjust even during the pandemic or whatever. We must we must adjust to the transformation of American democracy. We can't just sit and wait for things to happen. And so uh, 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 we have to be the adjusters. We have to be the drivers. And so you have to take risks, sacrifice yourself, move forward.
1: All right. Well, thank you so much. This was great. And uh, for those at home, uh, we see all of your comments in chat. This was a very exciting episode. Wonderful to have you, Jeff. Wonderful to have you, Mike. And we really uh, look forward to chatting again soon. Thanks so much.